Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. How you guys doing? Can I give a quick shout out, by the way, because I don't think I think you were here last week. Addison Hook is a city champion soccer player from PA Middle School. PA, right? Did I get it right? PA? Well done. We got to see her championship game, and it was awesome. It was close. They have not been scored on all year, and it looked like they were going to be on a couple of occasions there, so they pulled it out. Well done. That is awesome. Very well done. And Cam ran a 10K this morning down here in the Norfolk. It's the Norfolk one, right? The harbor or something or other, and so well done. Great time, too. And Flora's already gone off. already told her congratulations. He ran the mile run with his daughter yesterday. She did a mile faster than I would be doing a mile right now, I can tell you that. And so uh, I just love giving shout out for any athletic endeavors and achievements or other stuff too, but those are just two things that I, I realize it's always something to do with sports whenever I give shout out. So if you got a job promotion, if you got a new job, just thank the Lord in your own prayer time. But if you, particularly anything to do with any kind of triathlon or basketball, you're going to hear about it here. JMU is 4-0 right now, and so our basketball team is finally coming back to the glories of 1994 when I was there. So I just, uh, you know, I graduated and things just kind of, you know, I'm just kidding. I, um, you guys want some good news? So Paul uh, Sinkis, our pastor who pastors in Turkey, has been here with us for the last uh, two months, or will be here through the end of November. He's actually preaching at another church in Ocean View this morning, and because uh, people want to know what, what's happening in, in Turkey and what's happening through him, and uh, I think we've got some people that are there too um, to hear him speak this morning. But we have been, uh, we took up an offering the last two weeks to be able to buy him a car, because he doesn't have any of his own transportation there, and we're really feeling like there's ministry outside just the immediate Izmir location that he's in, and having a car gives you the ability to connect to some of the other workers. They're not missionaries, they're workers, okay? Um, missions and missionaries doesn't sound good in a country that was ravaged by the Crusades, so we don't use that term. And so they're called workers, and it helps them to connect with a lot of those. And actually, the church where he is helping right now in Izmir is just now decided to plant another church and want Paul to be a, help them be a part of that leadership team to help plant that church, which is cool. And I'm like, you mean you're getting on-the-job training for what we're doing anyway? And, uh, and so we're really excited about that. But a car was a big part of that. So we were believing God to raise $15,000 for him um, because cars are not cheap. That's like a decent used car uh, in Turkey, and we raised it. So well done. Congratulations. <laughs> Just this week, somebody came in and kind of made up the difference. I love those people. Like, how much you're short? And let me go ahead and make up the difference there. And so the fund is still open in our giving page. If you see Turkey Car, that's the fund to be able to give him. And so we're going to leave that open through the end of the month. We're not taking up any more offerings. We don't really take up offerings here necessarily. Don't have anything against them. It's just kind of the way we do stuff. Um, so we're going to leave the fund open. So if you do had in mind that you wanted to contribute, maybe hadn't yet, or this is your first time hearing about it, you still can feel free to do that. It just means he gets a little nicer car. (laughs) Sound good? So we'll keep it open, but we won't keep talking about it. Um, but keep praying. Actually, he's probably preaching right now. We should pray for him. Yeah. 
Father, we pray for uh, Paul. We thank you for the word that you put in his mouth. I pray, actually, I pray for me too. I pray that both of us would have your words, not ours. And uh, that it, we know that your word doesn't come back empty, but my words do. So I pray that Paul, I think you've anointed him, and we pray for that church to be filled with your spirit this morning, that people would encounter you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I, uh, I actually missed the men's night because I kind of had a flare-up little bout of what ended up being pneumonia. And so um, I hadn't been to the doctor yet. I didn't know what I had, if I was contagious. And I was like, I better not go to the men's night. But this is what I love about team. I actually don't run the men's nights. Our, our team does and, and do a great job. And Dave, I just constantly heard how great a job Dave did in, in sharing that message on identity. So thank you, man. And uh, it's good to get some good reports but when I went to the doctor, he, uh, he, I got a chest x-ray because I had COVID about a month ago, pretty bad, and I still got some residual gunk in my lungs, and so he prescribed me some steroids to take to help clear out the inflammation. I'm fine, by the way. I'm, I'm getting there. And uh, to clear out some of the inflammation, he goes, these steroids have some side effects, and I'm like, oh yeah, come on, what's this going to be? <laughs> He's like, no, not those kind of steroids. I said, well, what kind of side effects do they have? He goes, well, after a couple days there's a good chance that it will give you major mood swings. You could become more aggressive and agitated very easily. So do you know what I do? <laughs> so counseling this week, I'm going to send everybody to Romy just in case anybody needs some because you don't know which Clayton you might get by the end of the week. Or maybe I've got a hall pass to yell at my kids a little bit more. No, I don't. And uh, my wife let me know that very quickly. She's like, you've only been taking these for a day, okay? That's not a side effect thing. You need to go set the hammock up in the backyard for a little while. I don't, I don't care if it's 40 degrees. So, um, But yeah, so there we go, steroids. Darn it, I took the wrong steroids. Anyway, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. Today, I actually want to kind of complete a message that I began a couple of weeks ago on how to live free of offense, living free of offense, having an undefendable spirit. That's a good thing to develop. I think last time I did this, I got a little, not sidetracked, but I felt like the Lord gave me some other stuff as we began the message. And so I wanted to finish out this one with some things that I can think can really help you not just get free, but actually stay free, okay? Proverbs 18, 19 says, in unoffend, and unoffended, let's switch that around. An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city and disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. And every married man said, nothing. Well done. Well done, guys. Well done. I'm proud. Right? Uh, you know, honestly, so many people just walk around bitter. They walk around ineffective because of past hurts. And sometimes those hurts, those wounds, they were real. I'm not saying that you're not ever hurt. But how we respond to the hurt and how we respond to getting offended will ultimately determine our freedom, not the person that did it. But we walk around with things and we're like, why am I so ineffective? Why do I seem blocked? Why am I having a hard time praying? It's because you might be carrying something you didn't realize you've been dragging around for a long time. The unfortunate part is sometimes you don't even know what it is. I have sat in marriage counseling sessions with, with doing marriage counseling with people, and there, you can tell there's a difference between, hey, we need some help in our marriage, and hey, this was my last box to tick before I get the divorce. I promised my wife I'd get counseling, but they're already gone. You know what I mean? And so sometimes I'll sit with this couple, 
And they're like, we just can't get along. We can't communicate. And I'll say, well, what's, is there a particular issue? And they're like, well, it's this, this, and this. And they're just at each other. And sometimes it's been people that have been married for 20 years and I'm trying to get to the bottom of the issue. Was there a particular moment when something happened that this is now birthed from? But the problem is, if it goes on for so long, you forget what the original source even was. I don't even remember what the argument was. I'm just mad. Anybody been that way? You're just walking around mad. You're like, I must be the steroids. But you even forgot what the original argument is. And that's what happens when we take up an offense and don't deal with it in a godly way. So hopefully I can help you with it today. Proverbs 19.11. Boy, Proverbs has got some good wisdom. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's wisdom, or when I say man, man or woman, okay? We're gender neutral here in the Bible as far as this verse is concerned. Proverbs 19.11, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. His glory, not God's glory. It's to his glory to overlook an offense. We'll get to that in a minute. Last week we talked about, you know, why should we overlook an offense? Well, one of the reasons we should is because we live free. When you're free, you don't have to take up an offense. And when Jesus sets you free, the Bible says you're free indeed. We talked about how offense can often be a manifestation just of our own pride. It's because we view ourselves more highly than we should. When people treat us wrongly, then we think, how dare you treat me that way, right? But if you love people, you can't be offended. Jesus said the greatest two commandments, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and all your soul. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you love God and love your neighbor, you really can't get offended. You can't offend me if I love you. Doesn't mean you're not offensive, but I'm not going to carry this thing around with me, okay? And now I want to get to the couple of other ones that we'll get to today. I think one of the biggest keys in helping us understand how to live free of offense, how to keep that burden off of us. Sometimes I get up here and I'm like, I don't even know why I preach, because every time somebody gets up and shares a prophetic word, it's my message. And so she's talking about this, this, the heavy loads that we put and to give it to Jesus. That's exactly what I'm going to talk about here today. The first principle that I've tried to live my life by is there's two things that I never want to owe. Like one of my goals financially in life is to completely get out of debt. Anybody have a goal like that? And we, other than our mortgage, we haven't had debt in years. It's been awesome. Wasn't always like that, but we live free of debt. And it is the most freeing thing ever, right? One day I'll pay off my house. I don't know when that'll happen, but to be free of debt is you, you literally, it's the burden off of your shoulders, right? It's not a debt message about houses and stuff. But there's one thing that I've determined I never want to owe, and that's an apology. You ever hear the expression, I owe an apology? You ever heard that? You know you've done something wrong, you owe an apology? Pay up. Pay up. Don't owe apologies. That's a burden whose interest rate is very high. Trust me, don't owe apologies. It doesn't age well. The longer it goes, it doesn't just sit there, right? It doesn't just sit there as the same amount. 
It's worse than a credit card. When you owe an apology and you don't give it, it grows through compounded interest. And that's how you end up in a marriage 20 years later where they can't even talk to each other, but it was probably just because somebody didn't fold the towels right because apparently the trifold is the only way to put the towel into the closet. You can't roll it up. It has to be a trifold. Don't owe apologies. When you know you owe one, pay it. Go to the person as soon as it comes to your memory. Say, listen, I'm sorry. It's not hard, especially the earlier you do it. I have been in the middle of an argument with Romy, my wife, and the Holy Spirit goes, you're wrong. And I have learned that some, not always, (laughs) in the middle of it, just to go, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. Do I? Is that fair? Confirmation. Can we turn the camera that way so you got the head nod? (laughs) Yes, that's true. We need video evidence of this. I'm not always great at it, but I've actually tried to endeavor and learn to hear the Holy Spirit in the middle of a heated argument. And when he tells me, you're wrong, I can't argue with that, right? Because my brain is like, you're right. You're right. And the devil's like, you're right. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, you're not. <laughs> Matthew 5, 23, verse 24. says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. You see, reconciliation between people is important to God. Now, he's talking about if you owe someone apology. Here's what God's saying. If you come in here and you start to worship and God brings to your mind an apology that you owe, God's saying, stop worshiping me. I don't know of any other time in Scripture when God said stop worshiping, except when you owe somebody an apology. Stop, go reconcile to them, Then come back and worship. Before you take communion, when we drink of the body and blood of Christ, I tell you, it's good to just go, Lord, is there anybody I've offended? And is there anybody that I need to forgive? Those are two different things. And whatever he gives you, I would not take communion until I've done those things. In fact, Paul's instruction said some of you have died because you've taken it in an unworthy manner. Died. We don't see that a lot now, but that just means you took communion, what you were just going through the motions of a ritual, rather than understanding that this means not only are we united with Christ, but we're also united with each other. And you can't fake unity. I can't fake it in a marriage. I can't fake it in a church. Unity comes when we're reconciled to each other. Before you give, before you write out your tithe check or tithe text or whatever it is, don't give. If you owe your brother an apology or your sister, give the apology first. It's important. Make sense? Before you pray, if you're having a hard time praying, this might be the thing. I feel like this is for some people here. If you're having a difficulty sitting with God in prayer, like sitting with Him, not like, here are my 10 things, I'm gone, right? Maybe you start to ask the question, Lord, is there anybody I need to forgive? Is there anybody who I have offended? And do it quickly and then come back and pray. Still come back and pray. Okay, you got that? 
and worship and give and all that other stuff too. God's not saying to not do those things. He's just saying that reconciliation with your fellow man is what comes first, right? Remove the barriers between us and God. Don't owe apologies. Pay up. Live debt free. The second reason that we really should not live with this offense when we get offended and learn how to unload that thing is because when you live with offense and you don't forgive others, you actually chain yourself to that offense and you chain yourself to the offender. It's an illustration that I'm going to share with you guys. It's actually from Aristotle. He was describing the Etruscans are the people that lived in Tuscany before Italy was really a country and they had these pirates and Aristotle was relating a form of execution that these Etruscan pirates would do to how the body and soul work now. Now, Aristotle's not a Christian, but some conjecture that when Paul said, who will rid me of this body of death, when he's talking about this flesh versus spirit thing, that it was possibly in reference to what Aristotle was talking about and actually was also mentioned in the Aeneid from uh, an Italian poet whose name, Virgil. And so, just a little background. You don't care about history. I'll tell you the story. So what these Etruscan pirates would do is when they would capture somebody and want to kill them, and this is what Aristotle said. This was their torture. The living and the dead at his command, he coupled face to face and hand to hand till choked with stench and loathed embraces tied. The linging, I can't read. The, the wretches pined away and died. What they would do is if they wanted to kill somebody, they would take the live person and take one of the corpses that they had and they would chain the two of them together. So you would be chained to a dead body. Now after a while, I mean it'd be pretty stinky and pretty nasty at first, but after a while that decaying flesh with the worms that were involved with that and all of the disease would begin to move over onto the live person. And pretty soon, can I get you? Pretty soon, I won't chain you up, it's okay. So they're chained, literally, they're face to face like this, right? And so as they're chained together and that decay starts to happen, they actually become one flesh. The flesh merges, as his is decaying, it begins to decay mine. And after a while, they just take the chains off because they're completely stuck together. And they rot and they die themselves. It's a horrible picture, isn't it? You're welcome. Hope you ate before you got here. <laughs> when we choose to take offense, it's choosing this. And so we're walking around with this dead body, weakened at Bernie's. This dead body walks. <laughs> walking around with this dead body going, I don't feel right. I don't feel free. What's going on? But we don't even know it. And we're trying to figure out what that thing is. And we're getting sicker and we're getting sicker and we're getting sicker. That's what taking an offense does. It's like chaining a dead body to you. The only difference is you have the key. That key is called forgiveness. That key was given you by Jesus on the cross where he demonstrated his forgiveness of you. And when Jesus forgave you, he also gave you a key of forgiveness to forgive others. And he says, if you forgive others, I'll forgive you. He also said, if you don't forgive others, my Father in heaven won't forgive you. That's a tough scripture, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So he gave you the key. 
And all we have to do is unlock that chain and get rid of the dead body. Dead bodies were meant to be buried. We're not supposed to be carrying them around. Don't let it infect you to the point, because it will. First it's uncomfortable, then it's smelly, and then it completely infects you. And when you walk around with unforgiveness, that's exactly what it does to your own heart. In fact, these Etruscans believed that you were infected from the inside out. So by the time the blackness showed on my skin from the decay, that's why they could undo it, because it meant that what was inside has come out. It's a tragic story, isn't it? Stay here for a second, King, if you don't mind. You see, today, we, we uh, it's a good thing we're good friends, right? Good friends. <laughs> I could have been nose-to-nose, face-to-face. And we don't always see this today. I can't see somebody carrying around a dead body. I can't see them carrying an offense. I don't see what's in your heart but I do hear it. Let me tell you what it sounds like. Hey, can we meet? I just need to get something off my chest. Mm. Oh, yeah, you do. Can we meet? Because I just need to vent. Anybody ever heard that expression? I just need, I gotta, everybody's gotta have somebody they gotta vent to or a whole Facebook friend group they gotta (laughs) vent to. I just gotta vent. And there's this mentality that I just got to tell somebody. I just got to get it out. But every time you're doing it, you're like, hey, come. You may not see this, but I want to come show you my dead body. Look at how bad my dead body is. I want to vent. You know what? The word vent, let's just change it to gossip. Is that okay? Because that's actually what it is. If you're taking something to somebody else that you should have been taking to God, that's gossip. And so instead of venting, let's just say, can we get together? I really need somebody I can gossip with. I really got to get this gossip off my chest. Just change the word. Every time you go, got to vent, got to vent, just go, just change that word to gossip. And that's exactly what it is. And the Lord is saying, stop taking to others what you're supposed to take to me. I gave you the key. I didn't give Ralph the key. So you talking to Ralph about this issue without forgiving first, he doesn't have that key. And hopefully Ralph will show me that I've got the key and I can unlock and get rid of the offense. So we don't see the offense, but we hear it. Thanks, man. You're awesome. Get rid of it. Bury it. Every time you hear vent, just change it to gossip. It's the retelling of the offense. The retelling of the offense. Be quick to forgive, really quick. Jesus forgives us instantly. Why should we take any longer? 1 John 1.9 says that we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now I know, wait a minute, it's part of my testimony. Not if you haven't forgiven them. If you have not forgiven the person, you have no testimony. You have the seeds of a testimony. And you've got the beginning part, but if you haven't forgiven them, that's not a testimony. Forgive, forgive. Can I go a little further with this one? We've got great pastors in this church. We really do. And we need way more. You know, Sammy and Brent and the, the Calvins and the Prossers. And, and I know they meet with people probably way more than I do. 
But if you meet with our pastors and you want to tell them how somebody hurt you, they'll listen. But I guarantee you the first thing they're going to ask you is have you forgiven them? And if the answer is no, but you want to, they will help you through that process, as will we. That's what we're here for. But if you won't forgive, they're not going to listen to the story anymore. Because if they do, it's gossip. I don't care that you're talking to a pastor. If you're bringing, Emily Sophia, we've got so many pastors, I forget about them. In a good way. If you're, if you're bringing an issue to somebody that, can I just tell you what somebody else did and I was hurt in this way, and they say, have you forgiven them? Would you like to? And the answer is no, or I'm not ready yet. Then it becomes gossip. And for our pastors to continue to listen to that without you being able to forgive, it's abuse. Do you know that? If I'm counseling somebody, and I show them the counsel of the Word of God, and they choose to do something else, but they come back the next week, and they're like, I need some help. And I'm like, did you do the thing that you know, the Lord showed us to do last time? And the answer is no, give me something else. I'm like, well, if you went to the doctor, and you had a disease with only one medicine that would fix it, and you didn't want to take that one, you wanted to take something else that had nothing to do with the disease, would I be a good doctor if I prescribed you a different medication? So forgiveness is the medication that you need. And you're unwilling to do that clinically by definition. Any Christian counselors in here? If you continue to go back to the same counselor and you haven't done what they suggested before, for them to continue to let you talking about it is clinically listed as abuse because you are now enabling the behavior. And enabling is abuse. It's creating codependency. You have now become an enabler of the very thing they came to help you with. I'm not trying to be harsh on this. We don't, don't ever tell us about your problems. But if our pastors are like, have you forgiven? Forgiveness is where it begins. That's not the goal to get to. Okay? I'm not ready to forgive. I can't help you. Because I can't go against what the Word of God says. I don't feel it. Oh, that's something different. Okay? I know you don't feel it, but do it anyway. That's the point. Do it and you will feel it. You will never feel good enough to do it. And if you're waiting to feel good enough to forgive somebody, then it's just a fleshly thing anyway. And that's a manifestation of pride. So forgive first and let the healing come from that. Does that make sense? All right. I know that was kind of harsh, but venting. That's my new word. Can I, we, I just need to gossip. That's what I hear every time now. I, with me too, right? To, to make sure that I'm not just going, man, let me, listen, we've been through some, some garbage, right? And I just know there's been times when I've said too much to too many people and I just went, oh God, I'm sorry. And I actually had to apologize. I owe now owe an apology to the person I told too much to because I realized that was actually me venting a little bit. But then there's other times when I have completely forgiven the person that wronged me. And so I'm free of that. So it's actually become a bit of a testimony. And it's been hard for me because I've had to learn how to step out to the testimony side because there's some things that were done to me that I'll go to my grave with, right? And that's a good thing to do is never have to talk about stuff. But then I suddenly realized, man, there's a lot more people 
dealing with spiritual abuse. And so I actually need to talk about this and maybe not share all of our story, but if I have been healed of that, and healing only comes post-forgiveness, okay? If I have been healed of it and I've forgiven, now maybe I can step out and share with some others my story because now it's a testimony. No forgiveness, no testimony. Keep your mouth shut until you've forgiven them, which is the second thing that I never want to owe. The first thing I never want to owe is an apology. The second thing, and the apology is for man. The second thing I never want to owe is I never want to owe God tears. I don't want to owe God my tears. You see, when I get hurt, I'm a man. I suck it up. I yell at my Yorkies. I go for a run, go for a swim, I get on my bike, I go shooting, I do something, but I'm like, I'm going to suck it up, I'm going to take it internally. God's going, hey. When your kids get hurt, you ever seen them like on the soccer field? I'm sure Addison's never done this, but if you, when your kids get hurt and they're in front of all their buddies, like when they're young, you know, or they scrape their knee, they're like... And you could tell it hurts, but they're too cool to show it. And then they get with mom or dad when nobody's looking, and it's just like, <gasps> Well, Jesus says that we can learn from little children like that. See, we spend all of our time when we get hurt sucking it up. I'm all right, I'm good. Then we end up going, I can't, I, can't, I can't live like this, so we come home. Imagine if I came home and told Romy all the bad things that have happened to me today. And that was our conversation. That was our relationship. Imagine that. Imagine if I'm like, this person wronged me, and I'm having a hard time praying. I just, I don't know, I'm sick. and ugh. You know what I've done? I just created an idol of my wife. Because I took to my wife what I was supposed to take to my father. Doesn't mean we don't talk. But she'll tell me, you, you need to go tell this to God first. And I'm grateful for that. God needs, God doesn't need, sorry. You need to give God your tears. There's been moments when I have gotten in the presence of God. And it's like, here's the funny thing about a kid. It's like when they skin their knee and they get hurt, I'm like, I'm okay, I'm okay. I'm okay. And they can put it on for a minute, and they're not, they're not fooling anybody. They're like, I'm okay. I'm okay. And then when they see mom's face, it, they can't help it. It's like, oh, man, I'm a mess. It's like, ah. You see, when you get in his face, when you get in his presence, you, you really can't hold it anymore. There's been moments of my life when I, on a particular day of the week, was always a hard day for me. And I would ride home from where I was and I wouldn't even go in the house I would just go in the backyard it was like 9 10 o'clock at night I would just worship just worship and I found myself bawling my eyes out going what is going on and I felt the presence of the father and I heard him say you've owed me these for a long time thank you for paying up 
those things that have hurt you, take them to the Father. Take them to the Father. Give Him your tears. Because if you don't, you're going to try to find another source for comfort. Some go to the bottle. Some go to porn. Some go to friends. Some go to Facebook. You're just going to create more addiction and problems on top of it. Learn to go to God and bawl your stinking eyes out. I'm talking to men and women. And you'll be amazed that that's what she's talking about. The burden gets lifted. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and give me your burdens. Not give them to your wife. Not give them to your dog. Not give them to whatever. And don't carry it. Don't carry it and don't give it to somebody else. I can't put something on her shoulders that God has not called her to carry. And if I do, not only will I break her, but I create an idol out of her. You want to hear some good news? Psalm 126, 5 and 6. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Do you know what this means? If I'm holding on to my tears, I'm not saying you have to physically cry. You understand that's an, it's an analogy here. Though it helps. I've become a crier over the last 10 years. I don't know what happened to me. I grew up in a world where you do not cry ever, right? You know, not from my parents, just from sports and stupid stuff. And then the Holy Spirit just got a hold of me. And I'm like, I'll flip and do it now. Um, <clears throat> Just years of it. And I'm like, oh man, there's nothing more freeing. And just bearing your heart to him and knowing that he sees you. He sees you. He sees me when I'm heavy. We should sing that next Sunday. Post-Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's all I can think about. I know I've wrecked the song now. It's a great song. <laughs> he sees me when I'm heavy. Your tears are seeds. Do you understand that? When you give those things over to the Lord, you're sowing seeds. To be honest, I found worship probably the best time for me to do that and the best way for me to engage in that. And I've had seasons where I've had, not many, a hard time engaging in worship. And the problem is the dead body goes, oh, that's because that song's not doing it for you. Oh, that's because the music's too loud, right? Or whatever it is. Or other people are looking at you. Oh, that's pride. And God says, no, you're still holding on to your tears. Because it's not about what's happening in the room. It's about what's happening in here. Do you know why this church worships so well? And I hear from our worship team all the time. It's just so easy to lead worship in here. It's because you don't hold back. It's not because you sing loud. It's because you, you're giving God what you need to give to Him. Your tears are seed. If you're not reaping joy, stop holding on to the seed. You may owe God some tears, but when you do, you're planting seeds that will reap in sheaves of joy. That means a little tear here, a big sheave of joy. See, we feel like it's going to be all this blah to God and okay here's here's a nice little verse for you to put on your 
refrigerator. It's like, no, sheaves of joy. Just a couple of tears yields a harvest. Talking about our intimacy with the Father and learning to go to Him for that stuff. Last thing, and I'll focus on this. Why should we forgive? It's for glory. For glory. Psalm 1911, I read it a little while ago. A man's wisdom gives his patience. It's to his glory to overlook an offense. Now we know that the glory is in the presence, right? It's in the presence of God. It's bringing God our tears. It's bringing Him our stuff. It's, it's not owing Him those things, right? But how do we add to our glory? Think about Moses when he was on Mount Sinai. When he went up to Mount Sinai to meet with the Lord, and he gives him the Ten Commandments. In that moment, when he came down from the mountain, his face was literally like a light bulb, radiating, shining with the glory of God. So much so, they had to put a veil over his face because he was freaking everybody out, and they didn't have any night lights in the desert. No one could go to sleep. So they had to put a veil over his face. What is that? It's the glory of God. It's his glory reflected from you. He was picking up God's glory, and it was sticky. It's one of the greatest prophetic words we had in our church, that God is bringing sticky glory. Like you just come out of the presence, and it's like Moses' face. It just sticks to you. Like it's not this coming and going, oh, oh come back, Holy Spirit. It's like, no, he's with you. He, he sticks on you. It's awesome. So his face reflected the glory. When we overlook an offense, we add to our glory just like that. Because our glory, it's God's glory reflected on us. Just like Moses did. But it's even better. Because Moses met with God on a mountain and then had to come down away from God to the people. Still carrying a bit of glory on him, but the glory faded. Talks about that in the New Testament. We have God in us. The Holy Spirit is God in us. That means he doesn't come and go. He is indwelling if you've welcomed him in. So now the glory is not just reflected on our face. The glory wells up within us. As the, Jesus said, streams of living water will flow from you. That means his glory comes from us. Other people looked at the glory on Moses' face. When they encounter you, when you've been in his presence, they get the glory that comes from you. Your glory in you is God in you. I can't manufacture my own glory based on my skill set, personality. That's none of that stuff. It's God's glory in me that becomes my glory. And it's to the benefit of your glory to overlook an offense. I want more glory. So for Moses, he developed this thing. When he came down off the mountain and the glory was on him, he's like, y'all are crazy and he's good. But that's a long hike, so let's build a tent. I'm going to call it the tent of meeting. I'm going to meet with God in a tent, so I don't have to go all the way up on the mountain all the time. And so whenever Moses, uh, whenever the people offended God, which happened a lot, or even when they offended Moses, Moses knew what to do. You know what? I'm going to take a step aside, and I'm going to go to my tent. I'm going to go to this tent of meeting. And he would meet with God face to face. You see, Moses did not owe God tears. When Moses had the potential to get offended, when he knew God got offended, it was the intimacy that he had with, with God that he ran to in that tent. And then he would come out of the tent and be able to deal with the people. But what the people did when Moses was on Mount Sinai is they tried to make their own glory. 
They were apart from the presence of God. And so what did they do? They built a golden calf. They built an idol. We're going to make our own glory. Same story with the Tower of Babel in Genesis. That's just man building his own glory. And God goes, that ain't going to happen because I don't share glory with anybody except Moses and you. But you're not going to manufacture your own glory. So they tried to build a calf, and here comes Moses down with the real deal. Because Moses was seeking God's glory when all the people were seeking their own. just want to encourage you. It's good to have a tent of meeting. You don't have to call it that. You don't have to literally set up a tent in your backyard. Might be kind of cool. But you need a place where you can meet with God. For me, it was my backyard. And I say you need a place because it's not about the place, it's about the meeting with God. Some people have a, a war room they pray in. Some people have a special couch. But you don't need a coffee. You don't need a notebook. You don't need your phone. You just need a place where you can go free of distraction. It's my shed a lot, right? Although there's plenty of distractions there too. But you need a place you can go to and meet with God. Although the temp- tent of meeting, I don't, I don't want you to get carried away that I have to go to major, like, build something in my house. You can if you want. Just start with getting alone with him. See, Moses had to get away from the people. Jesus had to get away from his own disciples at times to go meet with the Father. Jesus, the Son of God, got away from the mess early in the morning. Why early? Nothing holy about early in the morning. It was the only time he could do it when there wasn't a crowd. Find a time when you can get away from the crowd, away from the hustle, away from the grind, away from your routine. Routines can be the death of our intimacy. Because I'll be in the middle of planning my day and I hear God go, psst, psst, come over here. And I better learn to respond to that before I get the, hey! right? Stop looking for these burning bush moments of the Lord calling you and just learn to get with Him. If it's 15 minutes a day, start there. I haven't always been good at this, right? Because I don't do it like the same time every day. And so if I don't make it a priority, then I'll find my day and my week, my month, my year getting away from me. Learn to have that place that you go to. Psalm 16, sorry, Psalm 15.1, Proverbs 15.1, I'm confusing our words people now. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Oh, where does that come from? A gentle answer turns away wrath. You know what that means? Somebody had wrath at you, and you gave a gentle answer. Life goals, right? No, no, no. They had wrath at me. I had wrath at them. Mine was a little better than theirs. Later, I was like, (coughs) I better go say sorry. That's how I went and said sorry. It's like, no. A gentle answer turns away wrath. So how do we get to the place where we respond gently to the harsh remark? I was talking to a family member about this the other day. And they're like, they're going to give it to me. I'm going to give it right back. I was like, oh, you like being controlled. What do you mean? Oh, well, if you respond to people the way they respond to you, you're the most easily manipulated person around. That means I control your emotions. If I want to make you mad, I'll just say something to you. 
what our whole world lives like. Give back just like they gave to you. And Jesus on the cross is going, excuse me? What I gave back to them was, was everything. And that's the example that he sets for us. Have a gentle answer that turns away wrath. That only comes when you first give God your tears. When you've developed the intimacy with him, you start to realize how much you're loved. You start to understand the forgiveness that you've received. And it's what naturally flows out from you first. It takes a while to get there, right? And it's not just being disciplined. It comes from the intimate relationship with him. And this will get trusted, trust me. It will get tested. Because you can't decide to be gentle. You have to already be gentle. That's the problem. You have to not go, okay, they responded to me with wrath. I'm going to choose gentleness. It doesn't work because the words fly out of your mouth too quick. You have to already be gentle. I remember we taught this in a Bible study years ago over by your house. I talked about this thing. And I was talking about how gentleness, has you already have to be gentle, not decide to be gentle. How, By the way, how exhausting is it to feel one way, but always have to correct yourself before the words come out and say the other way. It's exhausting. What if the first thing that you felt was what came out and it was God's response to that? Do you know you can get there? You can. I'm learning. I've gotten there. But I remember we told that you got to be gentle, not choose gentleness. And I drove out and I'm sitting at the light and there is a car in front of me and a truck behind me. The light turned red. And the car in front of me didn't go. And this guy behind me was like, beep, beep, like he's blaring his horn at me. And I was like, I just turned and looked in my rearview mirror and smiled and went. Like it's at me, not realizing that that's the person in front of me that wasn't going. And so I just kind of smiled. and I was like, oh, that was a gentle answer. And then finally, the guy saw the other car pull around. Like he was yelling at me. Like, I, he calls me an effort. That's what he hears. He's like, get going, you And then he saw the other car, and he's like, oh. Didn't say sorry, but I didn't need his sorry. Because I'm free, right? And I'm like, oh, this works. Haven't always been that way, okay? But learn to let God work in you enough to give him your tears, to lay off your burdens, to give him your offenses, to give him all the ways that you've been hurt. Take it to him first. That's the first commandment. Love God. That means you take those things to him. Let him clean you of that, clear you of that. We carry pain around. We carry, we carry unforgiveness around for people who died. And you don't recognize it, that I actually need to forgive that person for dying. That's crazy, right? But I've had to do that because I realized I felt abandoned at times and I just had to go, Lord, I forgive them because I didn't realize that that was actually keeping me from the intimacy. And then the tears began to flow and he goes, now I can heal you. And now you can have a gentle answer at the guy behind you calling you an a-hole because the person in front of you didn't move quick enough. <laughs> Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you that you overlooked my offense. My sin was such an offense to you. And though I deserve death, 
spiritual and physical, you overlooked the offense and rather responded gently like a lamb led to the slaughter. I didn't deserve it, but you gave it anyway. And because you did and because I've received your spirit and your forgiveness in me, I can live the same way towards others. And if you're listening to my voice this morning and you've never actually surrendered your heart to Jesus, it doesn't mean joining a church. It doesn't mean, you know, signing up for a club. It means just confessing to him that I'm a sinner and I am in need of you. And I want to receive your forgiveness so that I can live free myself. If that's you this morning and you would actually like to just do that, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And it's just a prayer of asking Jesus into your heart. Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner in need of your grace and of your love. Come into my heart today. Forgive me, Lord. I receive your love for me. Though I always don't feel like I deserve it, I believe that you gave it freely. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I receive you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He's good. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.